What's going on in your world? Besides dealing with your technical difficulties, Sean. <laughs> I know, isn't it? That was that was a weird one. That hadn't happened before. Hey, I've got something exciting for you. Guess what I was doing? Mm-hmm. What job does no Indian want to do? You were cleaning the, the toilet, I'm guessing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but here's how cleaning toilets has made me smarter. And I'm kidding, of course, since we're going to be talking about comedy today. I evaluate everybody in anybody's medical condition by the mess that they've left me behind. So <laughs> they think they were being funny, and then I get to judge them. Mm -hmm. That's my deal. <laughs> All right. I so since we're going to talk about comedy today, um, mm -hmm. I thought I thought maybe we should start off um, with kind of the biggest weirdest deal. So you and I, I, I had told you that I was getting clips from one of my nieces who was mm -hmm. going through my sister's files and found one of my old comedy tapes. So yeah, yeah sa Saturday night I'm at work. And we're talking about something about, you know, retirement. And I said, yeah, I don't even think I can work as a, as a door person for Walmart. And for those of you who don't know what that is, there's always some weird, random old person at the door that acts like he's saying goodbye to you. But really, he's calling security because he thinks you stole something. Okay, <laughs> I'm not even qualified for that job with my with my brain and everything. And so I spoke like my old business partner in Kansas City, who is Palestinian and he's deaf. So he really does talk like this. And one of the employees turned around and goes, you really just didn't do that, did you? And they go, that is exactly how the guy sounds. I'm not trying to be funny. That's how he sounds. Just, mm -hmm. Sean, that is that is not cool. And I go, you want to know why I don't do comedy anymore? That <laughs> bullshit right there. <laughs> it's like, the, the single best thing to do in comedy is for my people to make themselves comfortable to your people and your people to make themselves comfortable to my people by making fun of ourselves and everyone that we hang around, go out to eat with and everything else. It is, uh, and I, and you know, popularity or not, I don't get, Dave Chappelle's funny as shit. Mm -hmm. And they tried to, tried to blacklist Dave Chappelle and he just gave him a big F you and did his whole show about the things that people were calling and complaining about. It is, yeah. um, I, I understand there's a microcosm in the internet where you search for the exact humor you like, and I search for the humor I like. Generally, ours coincide. But I'm sure there's some mm -hmm. shit where I go, I, that just wasn't fucking funny. But what it is, is I may not have understood the context or anything, and that's the comedian's deal. But Dave's got, Dave has a following. He has groupies. He has all of this stuff. So he's not a person you want to pick a public fight with because he has millions of people who love him. And you may have millions of people on your side that are agreeing with you, but they're not really to go to war for you. His mm -hmm. are willing to go to war for him. <laughs> and um, and I, I listened to that one interview where the guy was like, well, you know, Dave shouldn't, you know, the trans thing. And he just kept going. And you go, look, man, I did stand-up comedy when Andrew Dice Clay was a hit, international hit. So those of you who don't know that, the is, 80s. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was the late 80s. Mm -hmm. But I am telling you, this guy, he spoke to what is now the Trump voters. Mm. 
And if we don't realize there's a correlation between, let's, let's put it another way. McDonald's started in the 50s or 60s. I never ate one until the 70s or 80s. And I always thought they were mediocre and shitty, truthfully. Mm-hmm. But they, they spun off Applebee's, which was the adult version of McDonald's with liquor. And then that went to TGI Fridays, the adult McDonald's with liquor, with buttons and fake happy people. Like you needed a fuck, uh, an effing clown show. I'm trying not to cuss so we can stay on YouTube. <laughs> Don't so worry, Sean. Andrew... I've thrown that rule out because they approved some of our ads. <laughs> so now I've gone rogue. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, so the, the question is, is what came from Andrew Dice Clay saying the honest truth, which is, you know, what he truly believed. Now, you and I both know he's a character. And you and I both know that that's not a real person. But there are a lot of people out there that don't know that. And they've gone along with this scheme of someone that will say the truth, um, no matter how hard and everything else moving forward. But, you know, comedy back then was sexist and racist and uh, mm-hmm. and sharp and cutting. Acerbic is the word I'm looking for, which is sharp and cutting. But I didn't want to have to identify what the word was. But here's the thing. In context... My stuff was funny. I am rather happy nobody really seems to have access to it because I did sell pieces to Hob, a comedy channel back then. And uh, and people but people didn't come out to record. They came out to be in a show, laugh their asses off and go home. You know, I mean, it. uh, I don't I don't know what that's about anymore, because you and I have both been to comedy shows and the ones that I saw here were just um, gross. Did I laugh? Yes, I laughed because I'm one of those people. But I also knew it wasn't a wider audience. I mean, tell me, tell me your perspective from, you know, you've done it here, you've done it over there. You know, if you do polite comedy, you have to look up a guy named Bob Newhart. He did the best polite comedy or Johnny Carson. There aren't that many people that are able to do that. And they're just not. Sorry, I just talked for five minutes. <laughs> Cheers. No, I was actually enjoying this. <laughs> yeah. I have opinions is, on these things. There is a comic called uh, Nate Bargetzi. I think he was playing tonight at the Paycom Center downtown. Really? Yeah. Wow. He's big enough to play there, and I have no idea who he is. That's I know, sad. But, but he's a clean comic, Sean. Like, he's sort wow. of like uh, almost uh, Jerry Seinfeld is. And yeah, he started right. his company, which is called Maitland Entertainment. So he's trying to do and promote comics who are clean comics. Like right. he always said, he always wrote his act um, where he could play it in front of his mom and dad and they wouldn't right. be embarrassed and he wouldn't be embarrassed. So right. that was his approach to the comedy yeah. thing. And so, yeah, so- some of the jokes, like, like there are times where I will, Tell my mother if she wants to come and see me somewhere. I'm like, please don't, dude. No, no. Like, there's no, gonna no, be no, a no, lot no. of swearing because of yeah. <laughs> the yeah. way I speak. <laughs> what was what was the guy's name that was on the TV show Full House? And then you'd go to his shows, and they were literally triple X rated. Um, yeah. Oh shit! Not John Stamos, died, right? the other guy. Do yeah, I... the one who passed away. He died right yeah. recently. Yeah, about a year but ago. He... His shows did not, and, and you know, nobody realizes Full House is not real. He's just an actor that shows up Monday through Friday 
on, mm. on the stage and and does his stuff, but that he Bald was an faggot. actual real. There you go. Yeah. Mm. And he did some crazy stuff. But going back to all of the racism and sexism. So I toured with women, men. Uh, back then, I have to be honest with you, I don't remember any Indians being on the circuit, and I don't remember many Asians, but we had um, Jews were probably the biggest ethnic population, and they were funny as hell. Uh, blacks, whites, and then for some reason there seemed to be a fair amount of Italians, but I think they were following, um, um, what's his name, Andrew Dice Clay's act. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it, it really is hard to look at that not from a time capsule perspective, because we all make fun of each other. And then when I'm yeah. drinking all night long, I mean, it it was, but at the same time, I could go to a city market in, in my city, Kansas City, and uh, everybody that ran the booths for, for, from all different places and all we did was make fun of each other and everybody was okay with it. But it also gave us something to talk about because we didn't have anything in common, mm -hmm. you know? And it was the, and it was the only way to kind of, to break through it. I, I would go walking in and they go, Oh my God, be careful. He's got a bomb strapped to his vest. I mean, all this, <laughs> but these are IRA jokes that aren't funny anymore, but in the eighties, they were still blowing up London. So it was funny. Mm -hmm. um, and, they literally and, killed Sean. <laughs> <laughs> what they were willing to do to kill in comedy. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay, do you want to hear a really terrible joke having to do with that? Do you want mm -hmm. to know what the difference is from a from a bomber from the IRA versus versus a lot of um Middle Eastern bombers? What do? We walk away from the car before we blow it up. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> it is, I mean, and, and would that have killed back then? Yes. Would it kill now? No, because most people wouldn't really understand it. Seeing as white people are the scary ones now. So the other day, <laughs> I was trying to do this little uh, bit where it was, so on my street, okay, there's a neighbor uh, who has a special needs child. So it's probably like on the spectrum. Right. And they, like most of my neighbors really don't like my stray dogs that I feed because they keep howling in the middle of the night, keeping everybody <laughs> awake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was doing some weird bit where I was talking about the stray dogs and how I feed them. And then I was talking right. about waking up every day at midnight because of the howling and all of that. And then I said, and after that, even the dogs start howling. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! Because okay, I usually, I usually that wake was solid. Up, <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know what the term was to write it down because I didn't know whether the correct term right now was special needs or right. is there a newer term that's yeah. come? Because even like you can't even say Not homeless work. anymore. Yeah, yeah you can't right. even no. say homeless anymore because yeah, considered what right. um housing impaired or something like that. I heard right. <laughs> it is. It is. So here, being being a, a Democrat is the hardest mm -hmm. thing in the world because everybody tries to rename these issues. So yeah. I, I do a bunch of stuff with schools, and finally I'm like, stop saying you're an educator. These stupid motherfuckers don't know what it means. You are a teacher. Tell them mm -hmm. you're a teacher. And then they're like, oh, he's a teacher. Okay. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. I really mm -hmm. do. Okay, so... You and I have written scripts. We've presented scripts. Um, mm -hmm. here's, here's the thing in, in comedy and politics. I learned more about politics from Jon Stewart 
than I did anybody else. And John, not the best comedian and an absolutely dreadful actor, was mm-hmm. phenomenal at explaining things. And he yep. could raise empathy in a 20-year-old Sean Cummings that I didn't have anywhere else. So he was able to tap into that and go, my God, look at this. This is outrageous and nobody's doing anything. He had a way of complaining that worked. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and that's a skill. I mean, that is a skill. And I think Oliver has a more direct one, but I'll tell you where he failed. Somebody brought up the Irish-English issue. And he was like, oh, oh, too many, too much right there. And moved on. And I'm like, that was his opportunity. Mm-hmm. But as an English person, how would he talk about stealing all this shit from India, taking it back to England? And why is it still in an English museum? Yeah. How, how do you do that with humor when it's so freaking ridiculous? Yeah. That is the weird part. Like, even in 2010, when I first moved to the US, I was already aware of a lot of the political issues only because of The Daily Show. (laughs) Right. Because I didn't really... mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would say, uh, undoubtedly, the best person explaining that right now, Jesus, God, what's his name? South Africa, what's his his name? Trevor Noah. Is is dynamite at it. Mm -hmm. Does he have... um, He's, he's just, but I, I don't want to compare the two because they're different. Trevor yeah. always does this great comparative with third world dictators mm-hmm. that hits with me like I've never seen, but I also understand what third world dictators are and how they work. Now, Stuart, I don't ever remember taking that line, but when Noah did it the first time, I was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Oh yeah, so, he had like that beautiful picture in the background of Trump dressed in the jacket that Idi Amin used to wear. <laughs> <laughs> right. And how do you not make the comparative after you see that? It's very hard to take it serious. So, you know, the other part of that discussion was, are you helping or hurting politics by making people cynical? Now, yeah. from a person that grew up in a political household, um, and obviously you have a very good vocabulary as well. I, you know, our backgrounds were different than a lot of people. You know, my, my, my parents were international or my mom was international. My dad was just a farmer from Ireland, but you know, still international. Um, yeah. but we, we heard different things in our homes than a lot of people here. And I remember as a kid, this guy named Richard Nixon running for office. And this guy, uh, the, the guy running against him, I, I think was George McGovern, who was a decent guy, but he was from like North Dakota. Nobody cared about him. You know, he wasn't, he was he didn't have the personality. And I remember neighborhood kids disagreeing with my, my parents thought politically. And I was like, God, how do they even know? I mean, I didn't, I didn't know. We would disagree civilly and argue for hours. I didn't know people really took a stand and were like, no, my guy's better. And you go, oh, are you sure? What about this, 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 this? And then they wouldn't know what to do and we'd end up in a fist fight, you know, Irish neighborhood. So, <laughs> that's one was, way to settle it. <laughs> that's, all we, that's all we knew, buddy. That, that, took a, that took decades to get away from, where mm-hmm. everything didn't need to be solved, kicking the shit out of somebody. Because, um, I mean, that's, that's what we knew. The, but as I got older, I learned watching Ronald Reagan. He was a master at a one-line quip just to blow somebody off in a way that was so insulting 
they couldn't get away from it. And, and other politicians would sit there and uncomfortably laugh because they didn't know what else to do. He, he was the one who started that stupid thing of the three-word answer, right? To, like, right. to uh-huh. brush somebody off. And... Right. And to a thousand-word needed answer question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but look, he was a, he was the ultimate uh, politician. He was trained in television. He was good enough actor to be in B movies, but not good enough to be in A. But mm-hmm. he was he was a phenomenal um, generator of warmth and trust as he was screwing the shit out of the entire middle part of the country. And most of those people would still vote for him again. Mm. Most of them. They would. If you recreated a 3D generated version of him, you know, he painted um, this idea of America that was that was great for 60 percent of the country. But but they lost their their union jobs. They they lost their middle class. They lost affordable because we really did have really affordable housing and we just don't anymore. Um, He sold that line of shit to everybody really, really, really well. And uh, mm-hmm. and it's and it's kind of sad because they still don't understand that he stole everything from them. They they literally they don't know. See that kind of uh, political, what do you call it, hero worship? I guess for lack of a better term, where work, they, yeah. those politicians are almost infallible, even if they are, they kind of have you with your pants down in the corner. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you they still don't care. go out and vote for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John F. Kennedy was really, you know, Irish guy, Democrat. Well, he wasn't he wasn't that good of a politician. He could not get deals cut. And then he mm-hmm. weirdly enough brought his weird brother in as the attorney general to go after the same Italians that got him elected. How'd that turn out? Whew, somebody oh, lost yeah. their head. Oh, too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Sean, too this soon. Is gonna be, we're gonna get so many comments on this nonsense. <laughs> but I'm what I'm doing is just letting people know that is an appropriate joke. He screwed mm-hmm. somebody terribly, and they taught him what the 1300s were like in politics. Very public, yeah. very abrasive. And then, you know, well, the, the magically the shooter gets killed. So, you know, the, the plot line ends right there. I mean, mm-hmm. holy crud. We, but Kennedy was endeared by everybody because all Irish Americans wanted to be him and marry this good looking French lady who had mm-hmm. all of the class that we didn't really have at the time, but we're trying to have. You know, because it, it takes a while to acquire it. One or two generations does not get you to the point where, where you don't need a cotillion lesson. You know, um, it, it is, it's a, it's a hard climb up. As, as look, any Indian American that comes over here, you guys are the biggest earners. Mm-hmm. Moving into that realm is still going to be a little difficult. For, and it is for everybody. You're not special. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that, but what do you um, do? Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say the weird part was the other day I was talking to somebody who's a local comic here. He's probably like 21 years old. And yeah. he was telling me that this is the first generation in his family that have left their farmlands and moved to a city, which is why mm-hmm. he's pursuing the career in like startup consulting and stand up. Yeah. And Good. I found that super interesting because he pointed at me and he was like, you're probably like second, third generation in this. And I was like, oh, shit, that's actually a thing here now. Yeah, I, It didn't even oh, cross dude. my mind. Mm-hmm. Your accent put you a hundred years ahead of everybody. 
Just the, the BBC English. Uh, it does. You can walk into any room in any country. I don't give a shit where you are with that accent and being properly dressed, which you do, which, you know, a lot of people don't know how to do that. Um, oh, God. It, it, good... Oh, my God. John, I have to tell you this because the other day I was at a pub and I was talking to a friend of mine and there was someone walking behind me, you know, a fucking shuffler and... I wasn't even concentrating, okay? I just right. turned around and I said, oh my God, would you pick your feet up while you walk? And I turned back and continued talking. <laughs> and Raymond just looked at me going like, what is yeah. wrong with you? Very, like, very British you. of you. Okay, so so for those of you who don't know this story, Deepak and I kind of, we, we'd known each other, but we got invited to a luncheon. And the two of us were at the nicest country club in this half of the state. And everybody that was eating was shockingly loud with their silverware and plates. And ordinarily, you know, you just, you try to ignore it, but it was so loud. And he and I were the only ones picking up that if you were in England, everyone in the room would have stared at you and you would have just put your stuff down and sat there in shame. And, or yeah. somebody would have said something. <laughs> oh, you you remember me telling to the like our friend who was sitting across from us? I was like, "Stop stabbing the Caesar salad! It's not running away from your plate." <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's um, it's a and and I don't know if that comes from travel or look. You know, my mom's family had money, so we weren't we weren't uh, first generation American. We were my dad's mm -hmm. side was 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 the that typical. Story. Mom said her, her dad had done pretty well. Um, yeah. So somewhere or another, you move from kind of the rough part of all of that to uh, understanding how to fit into the rooms, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds shitty to a whole bunch of people, but everybody always goes, oh, there's a glass ceiling for women. And you go, ah, not for women entrepreneurs. No, there's not. And that's, that's, how, yeah. that's how you break the glass ceiling. Own your own company. Nobody gets to control you. It's uh, mm. and in America, as you can attest to, anyone can own their own company. Filing for it's easy. Getting out of it, very difficult. It's like it's like marriage. You can get into it. Getting out of it. John, I'll tell you, the first time I ever went to file for a company in Oklahoma, it mm. was actually one of our common friends, friend who I'd already met right. at the pub, who was back then the secretary of state. So oh, I walked Kenneth, into the yeah. office and I was just standing around and Larry Parman walked out and he said hi to me. And he's like, what are you doing here? He was like, you know, you can do this online. I could have just online. told me. I was like, oh, sorry, Larry. <laughs> I thought okay. it's the first time, so I'll come here and do it. <laughs> oh, my God, that's awesome. Well, and I think you also want to see how it works first time. So I'm at the Secretary of State's office last week. I'm doing a partnership change on a deal. It used to be at the Capitol. It's been so long since I've gone there because you can do it online. I had to go to the Capitol, have everybody stare at me. I'm more famous at the Capitol than I I want to remember being, <laughs> right? It's like a new kid. Okay, I'll tell that story here in a minute. So I, I go down to the other one and, and kind of half get everything done. It was, uh, but yeah, it's all online, but you can't talk to anybody, so it doesn't help. I got more mm -hmm. shitty information from people last week, and they go, no, go do it online. And I go, if I could do it online, I wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. So... There's a bit of a flaw on a couple of the websites there. I, when I walked into the Capitol in DPAC, I don't know what has happened, but my popularity or infamy has, has gone to a whole new level. I would so, just say it was pure hate what you're feeling and you were right. trying to wonder whether you were famous. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I do. And for those of you who don't know, I do a lot of um, anti-establishment politics here. I think that's a fair way to say it. Yeah. Or I expose a lot of corruption and anybody involved in it seems to get angry with me if I you know, show the public what they are. So, yes, very. Um, whew, Lord. It was uncomfortable a couple. Of, I was like, no, I am not going to ride an elevator. I'm going to take the stairs. Sean, that since, kind you're of a, since you're a chef, it must have been like the politicians looking at each other going, that asshole keeps showing people how their sausage is made. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's pretty solid. All I'm doing showing you the sausages. But it's, it is... Um, it, it was interesting, but I, that also lets me know that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a good effect on a bunch of stuff. So um, but let's let's jump back to the to the comedy and politics thing. So mm-hmm. um, I've, I've speech written for quite a few politicians that most people probably don't know. Um, and there's a there's a there's a, there's a way to do it. So <clears throat> black preachers will tell you what they're going to tell you. They're going to repeat what they were going to tell you. And then they tell you one more time what they're going to tell you. And it's a three-phase thing. So you, you can't get any more complex than that in a speech. <clears throat> if anyone comes out and they've got more than a three-point plan, nobody's listening. Um, yeah. Todd Lamb, this guy that ran for governor, was like, and I got an eight-point plan. I'm like, oh, Todd, dummy. <laughs> and he lost. But, but people can't take it in. So yeah. how do you intermix comedy to sell your three points? So usually you first want to do your serious point. And then you do... Here's why it's funny and why you should go along with me to make everybody comfortable with it. And then your third thing is to real to reiterate there, <clears throat> there has to be what's called an action step, meaning you have to do something. You can't just watch me go down and, and confront somebody. I need other people to, to do it with me. <clears throat> Otherwise, I'm a lone wolf and they'll eventually shoot me. And, uh, <laughs> and if you put it that way, they go, oh, God, this is serious. <laughs> um, so I... Writing political speeches has become a comedic endeavor with people that do not understand comedic timing. So would you like to explain to the audience what comedic timing <laughs> is? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, speech writers in general, like say, for instance, there are times where a comic last week asked me, she was like, sometimes when you're a when they give you the microphone, you almost sound like you're having a conversation with Sean on the podcast. And I was like, that is because I'm used to that style of speech with him. And sometimes I'm not, and it's a one-way conversation here, so I just plow through certain premises because I'm not paying attention. (laughs) So it's a very simple thing. So, like, the timings would go off of the punchline. I got accidentally paused at the wrong place because now I'm thinking, oh, shit, it sounds like I'm having a conversation with Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So the, the question is, is so you go, <clears throat> you write them the setup and they go, well, you know, last year the GDP was only 3%. And then they're going to take a 90 degree turn for their joke. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be like, but so-and-so has never written a payroll check in their life. And you go, no, you, okay, give it two beats. And they're like, two beats and you just two seconds. And you go, and you can see them one second, two seconds, so-and-so's <laughs> Oh dear God! Do you, I honestly think Sean at times the teleprompter actually says, "Please wait," <laughs> and there are politicians God. who have read that. <laughs> Dude, it's it's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, but before we get off of here, since you worked at BBC and I did Cablevision early on as well, so we mm-hmm. we both worked for media companies as 
comedy was starting. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Um, mm-hmm. I was probably about maybe maybe 10 or 15 years ahead of you as far as when comedy was starting. And and it was a new mm-hmm. it was a new deal that um that was really looked down on. And what I would always try to tell people is they go, God, those guys are so funny. And you go, that's the most depressed human being I've ever met. And that mm-hmm. was their outlet to deal with what was going on with them. So yep. as K- as Cablevision kicked in, and the reason I bring that up is that's when 24-hour news came. <clears throat> and tw- and I, having worked on newscasts, and I've been the tape guy, I've been the teleprompter guy, I was the camera guy, worked in the... In the uh, uh, in the um, production room, look, you just sit there and go, there isn't enough, there's just not enough news. I mean, or do you give them so much news they can't absorb any of it? When I listen to BBC International, I'm like, they kind of overcovered that. But their audience is used to it. Our audience used to be 30 seconds they could pay attention, then it's gone down to 15. Hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you give them new news, but yet keep them watching with something that's explosive every fifteen minutes, so that they will come back after the commercial? So explain to people why commercial television matters and why it's different than news that doesn't need to make money. Yep, because the old days they used to have a broadcaster who showed up twice a day. It was the morning news and the evening mm-hmm. news. And he just told you the bullet points of what was going on. Once in a way, he shared an opinion, but he did start the sentence by saying, this is just my view on this topic. And he ended it. And they went selling ad space. So you didn't have to be flashy. You could like people, they didn't mind if people turned off the channel and stuff. Growing up, I was actually forced to sit down for the morning news of the BBC because it was just 30 minutes before I left the school. So I would actually watch that before I went and it was yeah. just somebody, the driest, non-flashy, yeah. blandest gentleman possible. And right. it was men back then, even in the right. early 90s. All then. men. Right. Yeah. All men. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, once it's... you have advertising spots inside fucking news, you lose the whole concept of... Right. Like, they don't even tell you the conclusion to a story. Do you want to know what happened to this story? We will get back to that after the commercial break. I'm like, don't fucking do that. Just tell me what the fucking news is. <laughs> yeah. They just gave you a soap opera story to hold you to the mm-hmm. next deal. So I watched from giving honest bullet point news to um, where where you, our advertisers were going, hey, you keep talking about that. I'm going to pull my money. Mm-hmm. And when you're income generated, and this would be Fox News, it would be CNN, this MSNBC, it would be anything over here. And I'm assuming BBC International at this point. They've got to, they, somebody's got to be paying for that. And Al Jazeera, you know, Al Jazeera, honest to God, I thought that was the most honest news I'd seen when I was in Europe about 20 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what it's doing now. I, Al Gore used to own part of it. How weird is that? You know, he's just an yeah. investor. Um, mm-hmm. But you look at, at, at news organizations and you go, it depends on who the managers are at the time. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's any blip in time who is probably the most honest, who's the most forthright. But whether you like it or not, it's popularity. You know, yeah. I there there is this girl named Jane, 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 something that, that was on the morning news when I was a kid. And my first mm-hmm. father-in-law literally thought he had a relationship with her. I mean, he really <laughs> like he would say, I love her. He said it like he meant it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I can't remember her last name, but, you know, she was married and had like four kids. And 
and was vomiting in a trash can when she was pregnant, you know, during commercial breaks. But she was the first woman I had ever seen break through, you know, yeah. it, it, back then. And, and you know, unfortunately, we're still seeing times where it's still a first for people on stuff. And that'll go on for another 50 years or so, at least. Um, depends if the white supremacists get their way again. Yeah, they're, they're working on it. They're working on it. Was that too soon? Was that was yes. that too soon? Okay. <laughs> but and Sean, um, yeah. Oh no, I was just gonna say a lot of times to keep the audience attention, they throw it to a stupid field correspondent. Right. Well, technically, yeah. someone in the newsroom is calling that guy and telling him what to say because it's not like there right. are dudes outside these public buildings giving him the down low on what the hell happened. Exactly. <laughs> and and if they're reading it off of their phone, it's because someone sent them a text. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, so we get a new crop of fresh out of college, 21, 22 year olds each year here. And a couple of them get bigger jobs in bigger cities. And then the rest of them figure out there isn't enough money in news anymore because there's just not. Kyle wanted to be a news reporter. And I was like, I don't think you understand. They live three people to a house. Like they, they can't afford rent. And that was back when rent was cheap. But that's yeah. how our stations work here. And so every year they have to figure out who's who. Mm -hmm. And you have to tell them, hey, 15 years ago, this was the biggest story here for six months. You really need to, to Google it, do your homework and see there is a background before right now. And they get mm -hmm. kind of taken to the cleaners because they're they're happy to land the big interview, not realizing they're being manipulated. Yeah. And that with the so, amount of PR fluff around certain news right. stories, it's easy to get. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So do me a favor before we before we got to get out of here. Um, let's go over people arresting news people and comedians because both yes. are happening. And it's not look, Donald Trump used to try to get comedians arrested here okay. and everybody used to laugh at it and you go this shit is not funny and he's able to mm -hmm. pull this off we are in serious trouble yeah so you want to you want to be the man to give the bad news there <laughs> that is the scary thing that is like the first step when it comes to mm -hmm. strong men right. showing their power or whatever yep. they think they're doing they're right it's weird to pick on like it's a it's a weird dichotomy of their mind where they're like okay these are just clowns and then all of a sudden the clown says something and they go like oh shit we need to jail the clown <laughs> right. yeah i mean think about think about that leader of ukraine that was a comedian he was a comedian he was a he was oh, yeah. an actor Zelensky. turned out yeah. turned out to be a pretty dang good leader because he knows how to do tv look that, mm -hmm. that says a lot if you just know how to present yourself on tv as i'm sitting here in my t-shirt and my my dirty hat um but I know how to do it if I need to. He's he's a he's a solid example. And and I'm not sure Putin didn't invade over there because he used to make fun of it. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not sold that that's not that, that it's not that petty. He was just like, eh, I'll get this guy. You know, you want to make fun of me. I mean, he's it's it really we're spoiled over here and we're kind of spoiled in the British old empire. Um, yeah. that we have mostly have freedom of speech and that does not exist everywhere, but that does not mean people aren't going to not like what you said. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's okay. like, I mean, that's like taking someone out of context, no, Sean, like, even if I mm -hmm. do do political bits, if someone right. suddenly walks in there, they'll be like, I don't know what he was so angry about. <laughs> if you didn't hear the previous sentence. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I it, it'll be interesting to see in the next 10 years where comedy goes, because I would say TikTok has brought forth, um, you know, a whole bunch of a whole bunch of two minute pieces. And maybe that's yeah. all those people were worth were two minutes listening to somebody for 30 mm-hmm. or 40 minutes. They better be good and they better be yeah. worth their money. Um, I got into comedy originally because I wanted to make more money when I was doing theater back then. Even musical theater, seven shows a week, you were only getting 250 to 300 bucks a week. And if I did a full headline set doing comedy, I could make about 1400 or 1500 a week, which would be like five grand now. I mean, it was good money. I mean, yeah. it was legitimate money, no matter who you were. And uh, so as a performing actor who did comedic acting, I just had people write my stuff and I just went yeah. up and murdered with it. But so... I, I always look at it and go, what you were just saying, How do you, what if you get a bad read? Because you, let's say you write a piece for me and I go up and perform it and you go, that is not what I intended. And <laughs> he's going to get somebody killed. You know what I mean? Like so mm-hmm. Janet Barisi, this lady that was big in politics here about 15 years ago, she was the first Moms for Liberty angry mom. And, you know, yeah. all she wanted... Have you ever seen the statue of the man kicking babies? It's like, it's it's a Nordic statue and literally the guy's kicking babies. She's uh-huh. that guy. She doesn't want a single baby to have any fun or anything else. And she is the original lady that tried to privatize education here. But when she got an office, we were like 37th or 40th in education. Yes, we were not top 10, but we weren't bottom 10 either. And now we're 50th in the nation. So all of this stuff's gone straight in the shitter and they got rid of her. But then we got this lunatic fake Nazi guy and, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I posted it have a look at the video that I did yesterday. I found the video of the two of them together at a meeting speaking. Nice. Got him. Right. Because low of the low budget Nazi. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, isn't that crazy? It is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew there was a connection. I mean, it didn't make any sense. This guy came out of nowhere and, and he didn't. You know, he came out of yeah. somewhere. She'd been she'd been grooming him <laughs> for a while. Mm-hmm. But that's the only way I find to get at him is to make fun of him, like a, like a schoolyard bully that's a comedian, because they're the most ruthless. Yeah. <laughs> How are we sitting on time, brother? How are we doing on time? Oh, we're out of time. Wait, like a minute. Oh, well, you better take us out, my homie. It was good to see you. Good to see you, too. That was Monday morning's <laughs> episode of the Villagers podcast.